Chapter Eight of Grace Harlowe's Senior Year at High School by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: Marian asserts her independence. There was not the slightest clue to the thief who had stolen the iron box containing a little over five hundred dollars, for which the girls had worked so hard. But the loss was made good by Judge Putnam, who, though on the bench at the state capitol at the time of the robbery occurred, had promptly sent Grace's check for the amount when Grace wrote him an account of it, for which generous act he became the idol of Oakdale High School. "'As for the thief,' observed Mr. Harlow several mornings later at the breakfast-table, after Grace had opened the letter and joyfully exhibited the check to her mother and father, He'll have some trouble opening that box. It was the strongest box I have ever seen of the kind, made of iron reinforced with steel bands, with a combination lock that would baffle even your friend Richard's grace, who appeared to be a pretty sharp crook. How will the thief get at the money, then, father? asked grace. I can't imagine, answered Mr. Harlow. If he tries to blow up the box, he runs the chance of blowing up all the money at the same time, and I don't believe there's an instrument made that would pry it open. He can't melt it, and he can't knock a hole in it. Therefore, I don't just see what he can do unless he finds some way to work the combination. It would be the irony of fate if the thief couldn't spend the money after all his trouble, observed Mrs. Harlow. I hope he never, never can, cried Grace. I hope he'll bruise all his knuckles and break all his fingernails trying to open the box and still not make the slightest impression. He certainly will if he tries to open the box with his fingernails and knuckles, replied her father, as he bestowed two kisses upon his wife and daughter, respectively, and departed to his business. Who is to be custodian of the fund, Grace? Are you to have charge of it? asked Mrs. Harlow. No, mother. Marian Barber was formerly elected class treasurer last year. She likes to keep books and add up accounts and all those things, so I shall just turn the cheque over to her to put in the bank until we get our next entertainment. Then, when we have about a thousand dollars, we'll give it all to Miss Thompson as our contribution toward rebuilding the gymnasium. I hear that the juniors are going to give a dance, but I don't think they will make any large amount like this, because they will have to pay for music and refreshments." Grace could not help feeling proud of the success of the bazaar now that the judge's check had arrived, although at first she had demurred about accepting it. However, as the judge absolutely refused to take it back, it was therefore duly presented to Marian Barber, who, with a feeling of extreme importance at handling so much money in her own name, deposited it in the Upton Bank, and was a recipient for the first time in her life of a small, neat-looking check-book. Later she showed it with great glee to the Phi Sigma Tau, who were drinking hot chocolate in the Harlow sitting-room the day after school began. "'I feel just like a millionaire,' she exclaimed, "'even though the money isn't mine. I'd just like to write one cheque to see how my name would look signed at the bottom here.' "'It does seem like a lot of money,' observed Anne thoughtfully, "'but I'm afraid the cheque-book won't be of much use to you, Marian, "'as you will probably draw it all out in a lump "'when the time comes to hand it over to Miss Thompson.' "'Oh, I don't know,' answered Marian. "'We may have to give a few cheques for expenses and things "'the next entertainment we get up, "'and then I'll have an opportunity.' "'The girls laughed good-naturedly at Marian's evident eagerness to draw a cheque.' We'll certainly have to incur some kind of expense for the express purpose of allowing Marian to draw a cheque, said Nora. 
By the way, Grace, which booth made the most money, outside the auction, of course? Eleanor Savelli's, replied Grace promptly. They made most of it on confetti, too, although they sold quantities of flowers. They turned in seventy-five dollars. Eleanor certainly did work, observed Anne. One feels as though one could forgive her for all her sins after the success she made of her booth. It is a shame that so much ability and cleverness is choked and crowded out by willfulness and temper. Did you hear about the quarrel that she and Edna Wright had after she attacked us? asked Eva Allen. Yes, answered Grace. I understand, too, that it has completely broken up their sorority. They carried their part of the bazaar through together, and then Eleanor told Edna that she was practically done with her. You don't mean it! I hadn't heard that! Who told you so? were the exclamations that followed this information. Daisy Culver told Ruth Dean, and Ruth told me, said Grace. Ruth says that Edna feels dreadfully over it. She was really fond of Eleanor. Now I suppose that Miss Eleanor Vendetta de Savelli will be more impossible than ever, giggled Nora. Perhaps not, said Anne quietly. I think it is a very good thing that Edna and Eleanor have separated, for Eleanor Savelli is a far better girl at heart than Edna Wright. Eleanor is better off without her. I believe you are right, Anne, said Grace with conviction. Although Eleanor's reformation is not for us, we've had experience. Never too late to mend, quoted Jessica. True, retorted Nora, but for my part I think the Phi Sigma Tau have done their share toward the mending process. Marion Barber, exclaimed Grace, where in the world did you unearth that man you introduced to us at the bazaar? Yes, I should say so, echoed Nora. I didn't like him one bit. A flush overspread Marion Barber's plain face. She frowned, then said very stiffly, Really, girls, I can't see why anyone should dislike Mr. Hammond. I think he is a remarkably nice young man. Father and mother like him, too. He has called to see me twice since the bazaar, and I am going to the theatre with him tomorrow night. I like him very much better than any of those silly Oakdale schoolboys, she said a trifle maliciously. The girls listened, thunderstruck. Was this good-natured, easy-going Marion Barber who had spoken? To their knowledge, Marian had never received attentions from even silly schoolboys. She was well-liked among girls, but had always fought shy of young men. "'Forgive me, Marian,' cried Nora impulsively. "'I didn't dream that you were interested in Mr. Hammond.' "'I am not half as much interested in him as he is interested in me,' retorted Marian, bridling. "'He prefers me to any Oakdale girl he has met.' The girls exchanged astonished glances at Marion's complacent statement. "'Where did you first meet him, Marion?' asked Anne gently. "'At the bazaar,' replied Marion promptly. "'Who introduced him to you?' asked Grace curiously. Marion hesitated a moment, then burst forth defiantly. "'I suppose you girls will think it perfectly dreadful when I tell you that he introduced himself.' He came up and asked me to tell him about some of the features of the bazaar. I did, then he went away, and after a while he came back and talked to me a long time. He's in the real estate business, and is going to have an office here in Oakdale. He was very much interested in the things I said to him, and when I told him about our Phi Sigma Tau, he asked to be introduced to you girls. I never supposed you'd take such a dislike to him. I think he is perfectly splendid, she added with emphasis. "'Well, I don't agree with you,' said hot-headed Nora, "'and I don't think that you should have noticed him, "'beyond being merely civil without an introduction. "'Do you, Grace?' 
"'I don't know,' said Grace slowly. "'That is a question that no one save Marion can settle. "'I don't wish to seem hateful, Marion, "'but to tell you the truth, I wasn't favourably impressed with Mr. Hammond. "'Besides, he's ever so much older than you are. "'He must be at least twenty-five years old.' "'He is twenty-nine,' replied Marion coldly, "'and I am glad that he isn't as young and foolish as most of the boys I have met.' "'Does your mother know how you happened to meet him?' asked Jessica unthinkingly. But this was a little too much. Marian rose to her feet, her voice choking with anger. "'I don't blame Eleanor Savelli for calling you busybodies,' she said, "'and I shall be infinitely obliged to you if you will in future look to your own affairs and stop criticising me.' With these words she rushed from the room, seized her wraps, and was out on the street before any of the remaining girls had fully comprehended what had happened. End of chapter 8